Cineboys to Cinemen episode 33. 33? 33. 33 episodes. Wow. I <laughs> uh, hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Uh, this week, Gareth Edwards is the creator. Mm. A Cineboys first, actually, in terms of a discussion about the sci-fi genre. Mm, yeah, I think yeah. we've sort of skirted around it and talked about it in sort of various episodes gone by. Yeah. Um, but it's the first time we're going to properly sort of wade into it. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Chiefly focusing on sort of sci-fi films that uh, around the subject of robotics and AI, as that is sort of the central uh, narrative thread of the creator. So we'll have a good natter about all that stuff. Uh, discussion around the career of Gareth Edwards, because I think it's quite interesting. It is, yeah. trajectory. Yeah. And the way he makes films is fascinating as well. Yes. Or at least his early work. I mean, sounds maybe Godzilla and Rogue One, but like his the way he does things is really... Uh, grassroots, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, which is sort of bizarre through the lens of modern blockbuster Com- filmmaking. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's quite refreshing. Yeah, completely. Uh, and then, of course, we'll uh, review the film itself. Mm, yes. In classics in a boy style. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do that now. Let's do it now. Let's not deviate. No. Questing the cinematic Right then. Uh, also, actually, before we kick off the discussion, this is the first episode recorded from the new... Oh, yeah, the new room. The new room, the new Cineboys room. My living room. <laughs> but, uh, we're hoping in the future to maybe start filming yeah, ourselves. that should be interesting. As we podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not just day to day. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's incredible. It's really distracting, but in a good way, I think, considering the subject matter of the podcast. In that, there's about four hundred DVDs and Blu-rays, like within about a meter of of my eyes. So I can kind of, I, I suppose, it'll be quite good if we're like thinking of examples of movies, and you can kind of just like have a quick look. Yeah, yeah. four hundred, double that. <laughs> Add a few extra on top. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I've wasted my life. I'll re-record it. <laughs> 800 <laughs> I'll cut that in later <laughs> that would only this only works as a boast in a film podcast in yeah. any, other, any other way but like oh I'd feel quite embarrassed and sort of naked yeah. but no yeah this, yeah. Um, yeah we're very excited by the prospect of filming ourselves podcasting mm. um, but um, that probably will be a little bit later down the line but I just thought it was worth mentioning to sort of whet your appetites yes yeah, put a face to the voice which might end up doing our doing our <laughs> podcast a disservice I don't know yeah we'll have to like get get haircuts and like, yeah, yeah. wear suits and stuff and trim yeah. our body hair yeah yeah definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so then the sci-fi genre mm, more specifically yeah. uh, sci-fi films as alluded to in the intro uh, that focus on AI, mm-hmm. robotics. Yep. One thing that really struck me about the creator was, I don't know, there was something more impactful about the ideas that Gareth Edwards was unpacking on the basis of the, I guess, the sort of ubiquitous nature of the debate around AI. It feels like it's going to be something that's going to dig itself, dig itself deeper in our society, in our way of life, and have a considerable impact on the human experience, both yeah. individually and collectively. Yeah. Uh, and... I don't know, like, I think even though the film is already sort of retreading very well-trodden ground... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of timing of its release, I don't know, it only really helped the film in that way, I think. Yeah, I've heard a lot of mixed... Fi- Some people think it really squandered the opportunities in re- releasing it at a time when, obviously, you got the uh, SAG-AFRA strike, which, and a lot of that was concerning the use of AI in the in in the sense that it's displacing people's jobs. Yeah. Um, 
some people thought that it was kind of in poor taste releasing a film like this, but other people I've noticed have sort of really praised it, its ability to kind of bring those issues for, forward in, in obviously a ridiculously heightened manner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, the idea of AI becoming... Uh, something that would that would envelop humanity's been around in sci-fi for a really long time, but it's only now that you know we're sort of on the cusp of it, or at least a lot of people think that we are. Yeah. Um, that those sort of narratives either get brought back, or you know, new narratives are created. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we'll go into this in the review part of the discussion regarding the film, but yeah, it's very well trodden ground, and mm. it doesn't always pull it off. But I, I don't know. Like, I just feel that. You know the fact that this is something that is obviously already impacting people's lives, as as you mentioned, the SAG-AFTRA strikes, the concerns on the impact of AI on workforces, mm. human creativity. Yeah, these are debates that are sort of very, you know, very heated. Yeah, um, and are set to probably dog the discourse for a very, very long time. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if dog's necessarily the right word, but they're definitely going to be around. So yeah, I just feel like the film, the release, felt quite timely, and I can understand the negative reaction and responses to that on that basis yeah but for me i don't know even if the film didn't necessarily do anything with particular grace thematically speaking it just i don't know it felt a little bit more impactful maybe i was just in the right mood for for it at the time no i think i think you're right there's definitely something in that in the way it kind of handles those themes i sort of think it's only becoming (laughs) the, the sort of the problem with the whole ai thing very briefly. Yeah, no, go Before for we talk about loads of movies, is that yeah. you could argue that factories ha- employed this technique like 30, 40 years ago. It's like sort of me- over-mechanisation of industrial process, basically, which displaced loads of people's jobs back yeah. then. But obviously, in the case of people working in factories, it's largely like a working-class environment. And I do think it's kind of interesting that now the same thing uh, is happening to loads of writers <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is unacceptable all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, the, the, I'm in two minds about it because obviously it is horrible and probably very unexpected and it's never nice when people like lose their houses and income and stuff uh, but there's definitely sort of a bit of a cognitive dissonance going on in my <laughs> mind. Do you know what? I think, that's, I think that's kind of, yeah, I think it's quite fair enough I mean, I think there's also, I think the argument that's often leveraged against uh, you know these writer strikes is this idea that if you're a writer you're being paid an absurd amount of money which isn't true no that is not true yeah, yeah there yeah. are a lot of writers who are sort of on welfare mm, yeah writers who contributed to some of the most like, popular shows on like iTunes yeah. and Netflix or Apple sorry yeah yeah <laughs> uh, Netflix Amazon you know so I don't know I see your point and I think you're absolutely right to mention it in that context the use of you know robotics uh, uh, in the sort of manufacturing um, sector has really taken off and has displaced a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right that it's interesting that these discussions are really becoming more intense now Yeah, on the basis of, you know, people in the industry being worried about their livelihoods and their jobs. And- it's just odd that it's creatives. Again, I'm definitely not saying that every creative in the world is like a middle-class person. It's completely not true. Um, Statistically, but, it's probably more likely. Well, yeah. I mean, in England. There, I think there's definitely a kind of... A um, maybe a prejudice against uh, you hear Hollywood and it, you just think money don't you like, yeah, it's yeah. an automatic yeah, thing yeah. Which, and obviously it's a lot more complicated than that <laughs> no no yeah. it's worth bringing up though I think you're absolutely right yeah um, let's move on to the some films then let's just talk broadly uh, and we're going to sort of just yeah dance through mm. many films many of which I'm sure 
even viewers that wouldn't necessarily call themselves cinephiles. <laughs> the casual viewers. <laughs> uh, yeah, the casual viewer would have definitely seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's, you know, it's an aspect of the genre that has proved incredibly popular. Why is it, do you think, most of the sort of most popular examples, I'm thinking Terminator, The Matrix. Yeah. Why is it always or wholly negative? It's funny. It's, I guess I think part of the problem, and it's not a problem, but part of the th- reason why that is, it is because it's easier to, to write a villainous role with something that by its very nature has no personality. Right, okay. <laughs> or, or at least its personality is... Yeah, exactly. It's constructed to kill, right? And obviously, they actually kind of play with that in Terminator 2 a little bit. Uh, and that he becomes more of like a kind of empathetic robot, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, The Matrix is the most kind of clear-cut example of uh, the idea of... Uh, Robotics, and I think you could call it AI in the Matrix. I suppose yeah, it, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, there's a lot more to the Matrix in that it plays with like philosophical ideas, but it was nonetheless robots <laughs> that, that that started a war with humans, isn't wasn't that right? So yeah, it, and it's easier to write an adversary if it's not dogged by complexity, <laughs> the yeah. complexity of being human. I suppose. Oh uh, um, yeah, I'd not consider that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm thinking also someone like um, someone like Ash from Alien, right? Okay, and his of course, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. His role that he plays, he 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 was always represented as being like a stickler for the rules, right? In the early day, he's kind of like sort of very the most loyal out of all of them to the company. Yeah, before it was renamed <laughs> Wayland Utani for some reason, <laughs> um, and then he turns out to literally be. A robot, right, representing that the company yeah. and representing the ideals, and obviously he sort of secretly knows the real reason behind the mission and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just it, it's a, a good way to poke poke at corporations as well as like kind of faceless mm. entities, maybe. And yeah, that's why yeah. I think Ash represents that really well. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I've not considered him as 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 a, an example, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, in that sort of way in which he he embodies the corporate values and. Mm. You know, sort of the weaponization of the xenomorph. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, you know, at the expense of the lives of the crew, it's like a very sort of clear-cut and overt sort of critique of the way corporations yeah, yeah. view their workforce or something mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good. No, I like it. I often, I also think there's a way in which to sort of critique the element of human nature as well, which is something the creator does, is that yeah. it's not necessarily just saying robots are evil. Yeah, uh, or, or AI is just naturally going to be evil, or to the de- or or the creation of it is going to be to the detriment of humankind. It's how humans create it and what humans use it for that's the problem. Yeah, okay. Um, and I think if you think about the in the context of certainly the Matrix and actually Terminator, they you know are using robotics not only to benefit humanity but also to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's that that sort of. And certainly in the case of Terminator, the sentient AI just starts to sort of view the human race as a problem, like, yeah. a, like, a, like a parasite. Or, you know, or Agent Smith in The Matrix, you know, talks about this idea that, you know, humans are almost separate from, have managed to make themselves separate from the natural world they inhabit, in the yeah. sense that every other animal is sort of not happy, but slots into place in the ecosystem, whereas yeah. humans aren't happy with that. Yeah, there's that speech. I watched The Matrix really recently, actually. That speech of him 
saying like that he's describing humanity like a a cancer that keeps yeah. spreading to different areas, yeah, whereas everyone yeah. else is in uh, is in like harmony. Um, yeah, he, he's yeah. like strangely, he's kind of a. I, I guess he's sort of a almost like a climate activist, <laughs> Agent yeah, Smith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a strange way to think of him, but yes, it is, yeah. that is that is the values that he holds, um, and that's his motivation for what he's doing. And that's the yeah. only explanation you ever get. I didn't actually think about it that way. But, yeah, yeah, and it's it, you know the idea is that you know that it's it's how the humans choose to use this technology mm. because I think we you know you have lots of discussions with people that are really excited and enthusiastic about this kind of technology. You know, they always say, well, you know, it's going to make humanity better. You know, it's going to stop us from doing all the fucking bullshit, pointless jobs we don't need to do so we can focus on, like, art and creativity and, and yeah. community. <laughs> and that all sounds bloody lovely. Yeah, yeah. But the fact of the reality is, if you if you chart every major technological advancement that has been to the, the betterment of the system that we live in, mm. you know... It, is usually really only benefited a certain group of people. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, and are those people going to want to relinquish their power to allow, this yeah. is starting to sound a bit conspiratorial, but you know what I mean? It's it's like, yeah. you know, are those people going to really relinquish their power in the pursuit of this utopian ideal that is sort of cultivated by technology that busies itself in the background as we skip around with the badges and make films and <laughs> yeah, stuff. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's talk, like, talk about ideas. and Yeah, you know, yeah. It's a very utopian way of looking at it. And um, These films are basically saying that that's, you know, that's all well and good, but the likelihood is, is that humanity is going to use this stuff for something that's ultimately going to be to our detriment yeah. for warfare for, yep. yeah, for you know to continue to mine the planet's natural resources to the point of no return yeah, you know, all yeah. this sort of stuff and even if the robots end up being the sort of villain in the very literal sense that you said at the start of the discussion yeah. in both examples you know they are a villain as a result of human action and behaviour beforehand exactly yeah they're always representing uh, a, a bad a bad sort of side of humanity it's never the them themselves because ultimately they're always they've been programmed that way right yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) it's interesting um trying to think of other sort of famous robots uh i don't know why none are springing to mind at the moment um blade runner blade runner the other replicants are they robots do they count i mean they do count in the in the sense that they are created by humanity Mm. so i suppose yes they do but then they are sort of evolved to take on their own yeah. sort of sentience and their own humanity. Mm, yeah. And that makes them a problem. Yes. And then I love the ending to Blade Runner. And I kind of love that Ridley Scott gave us a definitive answer as to Deckard's own identity. Yeah. And that he is a replicant. There's an interview of Ridley Scott where he just goes, yeah, he's a he's a replicant. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> he sort of admits it. And Spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and that just adds a whole right at the end such a great not twist because it's one you'd have to and it's well for a start it's one that the studio kind of dumbed down in a theatrical release and it got restored with there's a cutaway to a like a silver unicorn isn't there mm. like made out of tin foil and that kind of prompts you into thinking like, oh shit he's yeah. a replicant right yeah the, the the way Blade Runner has is structured is interesting because the idea, and it's similar to the creator actually, is, is that these replicants are, are um, among us already and have been for a really long time, mm. as opposed to something like iRobot, where robots have been around for ages, but these new ones are kind of, you know, it's it's 
on the cusp of change, whereas yeah. you feel like the change has already happened in Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which then gives way to the kind of really unique atmosphere that film has. Uh, and often, like, operatic, quite confusing dialogue as well. Yeah, like, the whole yeah. Ten Houser Gate thing at the end, with, like, Rutger Howe. Oh, that's great, but... Um, Totally lost my train of thought, by the way. I'm just That's banging right. on about Blade Runner. No, now. it's welcome. And it makes sense yeah. in the context of this discussion, so bang away. Yeah. Big boy. <laughs> oh. No, I mean, it's it's arguably not quite as cynical as mm. the first two examples mentioned. True. I mean, there, there is like a definite sense of this sort of corporate powerhouses in the background and their machinations obviously having a clear... Uh, impact on the sort of philosophies of a lot of the characters in the film or mm. indeed the natural the world behind them you know it's all very smoky and dirty so yeah. I think there's, there's definitely a sort of very strong dystopian thread in Blade Runner yeah but it's not as as explicit in terms of you know the Matrix or Terminator I mean you think the Matrix obviously the, the characters are dealing with the defeat of humanity yes yeah uh, and in a way so is Terminator you know, there's a sort of yeah. Mm. You know, there's a sort of um, determinism to Terminator. You know, which yeah. they explore in many sequels, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they keep they, they keep redoing it. Yeah, they keep like oh, not not those yeah, Terminator one two all good. Then ignore the rest. Now there's this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that one fails. Now there's Terminator Genesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I want to talk about in a little bit, but I yeah, no, I I just feel that like yeah, there's something more about the the nature of what humanity is in Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sort of tends, that's more the, is it something that you can sort of grow in a, in a lab? Yeah. Put together in a sort of factory? Mm. Or is it something that you, you, you're born with? Which is central to the debate about, certainly AI in sort of creative industries, you know? Yeah. Great art, the great films are made with humanity. Mm, yeah, and how can you generate that kind of humanity when you just put a few sort of buzzwords into some software and say do this? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's again at the centre of this debate, and I don't know. It just feels like resurrecting these films in that context, which I'm sure a lot of other much smarter people have already done. <laughs> but you know, like it, it really sort of it gives these films an additional weight that they already had. Yeah, I think so. Um, definitely Blade Runner. I need to rewatch it actually. And absolutely Terminator Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, let's put it on right now, shall we? Let's just put it on. Should we do like a sort of like a, an audio? So yeah. say start the film now. Commentary. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's quite a good idea. I think so. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think it'd be really interesting to hijack people with it. Yeah. So like right now, if we just did a commentary on Terminator Genesis, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not yeah. advertised it as such, <laughs> it'd be interesting. That's a Bad movie. Oh. We went to see it the cinema together, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Me, you, did, Alfie, yeah. Dan, two of the beloved cinema boys. Maybe Lee. I think yeah, he might have been man. there. Oh, guest I, of film of episodes of your. Yeah, no, yeah. But um, I remember that was obviously I've seen plenty of dud films at the cinema. I think the last one would probably be Ant Man, but mm. uh, bitterly disappointing. It was movie. horrendous. Mm, yeah, really weird. And it's it's sort of on about because obviously AI and robotics has always been the sort of central concern in the Terminator franchise. But what was interesting about that film is it 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 also focused on like personal technology. Yeah, so right, AI yeah. could like manipulate the technology that we hold dear, like our smartphones. And it was a very sort of overt sort of criticism about our addiction to smart technology and yeah. our phones. And it's so fucking naff. But it's but it's interesting to see that as well, that that you know, that element of the critique about yeah. 
you know how we integrate with this stuff and how much of our lives we've just shat into this digital space yeah and and it's interesting because i think a lot of us are starting to panic i think a lot of our generation particularly is panicking about that yeah yeah. a lot of our generation who's subsequently now having children Mm. are thinking oh what do i do with my children like i grew up without it then had it gave everything to it yeah. panicked about it <laughs> and now like there's almost like this sort of, it's almost like fashionable to be like well my kid won't have an iPad you yeah, know my kid's yeah. going to be out with the badgers building forts <laughs> you know which again is a nice a nice thing it's but a nice thing it's I almost always... like we're going the other way and it feels like Terminator Genesis in a sort of roundabout weird way <laughs> this is a fucking stretch is sort of almost channels that anxiety and that worry yeah 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 no you're right there, there's something in that um, I need to. I, do I need to rewatch it? Probably, no, probably, probably not. not. I mean, I was. I, I. I sort of just thought I wanted to mention it because I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it holds an interesting idea that maybe had that been nurtured a bit differently, could have been kind of interesting. You're right as well. Like it's usually people that don't have kids that say my kid's not going to have an iPad. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite yeah. interesting. I always find that. Like, yeah, once, yeah. I assume that once you get children, you realise just how exhausting it is and how that time is so precious to you that yeah, like, yeah. a distraction for them is a it is kind of like a maybe i don't know three quarters of an hour of just do, getting back to your own life for a bit yeah you man no judgment from me no 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 not at all um i don't know uh i don't th- i can't think of any f- examples other than terminator genesis that harbor that idea uh other than something like men women and children which isn't really about robotics but it is about people's addictions to social media and the destructive nature of basically sharing all like your entire life on Mm. like to everyone else and how you you know Again, that's it's a very on the nose film, not one I particularly enjoyed that much. So about the alienating nature of it as well. Yeah, yeah. And how it actually makes you lonely. I mean, these are things that, you know, again, it's very common knowledge now. It's almost sort of like Yeah. It's like popular to hold that opinion now, isn't it? <laughs> While simultaneously still using that technology. Yeah, it's baffling how quickly it became a, like a cliche as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just oh you're doing the old criticizing the, yeah, the internet yeah. thing ironically we're streaming this on the internet (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) so we've mentioned the matrix um and blade runner i have dread written down for some reason i I mean it's not chiefly about robotics though i was i think i was thinking about dread more in the context of this aesthetic okay how it's sort of weirdly similar to the creator it's a lot more grubby than the creator yes but in terms of like a singular vision for a future Mm -hmm. i think it kind of it does a dread does a really good job in terms of being like a science fiction movie of just having like a really what appears to be a really singular vision of the future mm-hmm. um i like dread that for that reason uh, district 9 which holds again holds many similarities to the creator mm, yeah uh, that again that's not about robotics but I, f- I almost feel like if the uh aliens were swapped for robots the central themes of the film wouldn't change at all apart from maybe the obviously the sort of narrative parallels to what happened in South Africa with apartheid and stuff stuff. and the the idea of an alien species kind of fits more within that theme yeah I think so Uh, and I definitely don't want them to do a George, with yeah, robots. Yeah. do like a George Lucas. <laughs> we, on it well, yeah. tough mate, because I've started. A, I've started a, uh, a campaign on 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 X. Is yeah. that what's called now? X? He's, yeah, he started hiring visual effects artists from in Cambodia or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess you know what what 
is interesting, particularly about District 9, is that it showcases that sci-fi films at their best can be these sort of <clears throat> tales that should inspire a little bit of caution with technology. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, and I, and I think this is something that sci-fi has done for, or, you know, sci-fi horrors or sci-fi has done for a very long time. Mm. Think about, like, literary form with, like, Frankenstein. You know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, the, the, you know science is going to take us to this point where we can challenge some of the great questions and, and, and problems that face humanity. Yeah. But at what point is that going to create more problems and make humanity more fucking complicated? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really fascinating to sort of chart that journey through sci-fi. And I think certainly in a literary sense, mm. um, there were people writing books about these things so long ago before they could even conceive the idea of robotics or or yeah. AI or yeah, yeah you know but a lot of these people were or in sort of vague roundabout terms you know a lot of writers or sort of philosophers were, were sort of talking about this so yeah the idea of technology on the one hand being hugely beneficial but there's also having an air of caution towards each advancement is something that's you know almost run parallel to the, the development of that technology. yeah yeah I, guess. And I think district nine is quite an interesting example of a sort of more contemporary example of sci-fi's ability to sort of, you know, to almost attach itself to a moment in human history mm. and through sort of like fairly overt, but in, in my view, quite successful allegory. Yeah, for, completely. You know, I think the apartheid in South Africa, I don't know, it feels like a really good um, example of that. It's a, it's a period of history that gets forgotten easily. Yeah. And it's a really great reminder to be kind of brought to the West, effectively. Because, like, Neil Blomkamp's from South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's just kind of a, yeah, a reminder, oh, hey, by the way, this happened. Yeah. It's like, it's not like another 9-11 film, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody, everybody knows that that happened, right? Yeah, but there's, yeah. there's something, there's another, there's kind of countless other unspeakable tragedies that have happened across the world. And when a film that simultaneously juggles that idea and also is like a really decent very singular singularly created in terms of like a creative vision anyway uh, and just like a good action film as well <laughs> it's just yeah, like some yeah. good action set pieces um, I've not seen it for a very long time but I, I've seen it two or three times and every time I sort of expect to not like it that much but I don't know like I always think oh yeah this is good it's really good <laughs> yeah, this is really good yeah it's the only Neil Blomkamp film that has a really successful kind of pathos in it i don't know mm. if you remember um the the kind of arc that uh is, is vicus he's called isn't it vicus van der Merth. oh um, yeah and he starts out like a, a working for this corporation right and he's, yeah, yeah he's kind of like uh i guess he's like a bailiff trying to evict all of these prawns they're called yeah um, and displacing them or moving yeah. them somewhere else yeah and he has a really interesting again like it's been done before but his arc's really like emotional because he's he kind of gets outed like falsely as this sort of as someone who's sort of in league with the aliens all of a sudden it's a lot more complicated than that and his like wife leaves him and stuff yeah, and yeah. there's that bit at the end where it's, uh, the technology in the film means he becomes one of these creatures Creature's probably the wrong word to use, actually, but um, and he's and like there's an interview with his this wife who's obviously <laughs> naturally estranged from him, um, because of this horrible kind of 
Cronenberg-esque transformation. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I found this outside. I don't think it's from him, though. And it, and it is. It's from. It's like a rose that he's made out of tin cans. And he, the last shot of the film is um, him creating this oh, yeah. flower for her. And I'm like, fuck, after all that. Like, you brought it back home to just this, like, quite upsetting, very, you know sort of yeah you kind of you really empathize with him by the end yeah yeah um yeah and i i love uh, i love district nine for that reason i think yeah i think it's something that i think there are a lot of parallels between blomkamp and gareth edwards in the way they approach sci-fi yeah i yeah. think aesthetically i think we remarked even right at the start when we first saw the trailers i think in the outro of the last episode we remarked how aesthetically similar they are as filmmakers <laughs> yeah yeah and the creator does has done nothing to dissuade me from that of that view no way um they also like to approach sci-fi with this sort of like lofty well often lofty t- subject matter with like a ground level approach certainly in terms of cinematography there's a lot Completely. of handheld yep. ground level shots the camera sort of darting between yeah, <laughs> moments of action and key characters and, mm, yeah you know, it gives it that sort of earthiness which I think works excellently in District Noun and has had works to sporadic success in the creator but we'll talk about that, that a little bit yeah. more later <laughs> I remember what I watched AI artificial intelligence recently. Did you? Wow, yeah. that's that's one I've not seen for a very long time. It's Kubrick's yeah, final it's project, Swan Song, but he never got to film it because I think he died before uh, before anyone gave him the money for it. Oh, okay, yeah. yes, of course, that's right. And Spielberg took over. Yeah, and it's really as a film is kind of a. Frankenstein's monster uh, alluded to what you said earlier <laughs> slightly yeah. um, because it's half this really interesting very dark meditative science fiction film about the nature of humanity and what it means to be human versus like you know can we transplant our ideas and our emotions onto onto an external thing and have it act you know, as faithfully as possible to a human being. Like, it has all those ideas. But then Spielberg injects this kind of family <coughs> lightness to it that really doesn't work with the the tone that Classic I think... Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Not and, that it's incongruent. I just mean that's a theme that he he really loves. And But, yeah, both of the those ideas sort of work, but not in the same film. Like, it really is an example of two titans working badly together <laughs> not even mm. together in yeah. time because Spielberg picked it up but I feel like he should have le- left left his impulses at home <laughs> when he made that film yeah um, I mean I haven't seen it for a very long time but you, you there is a sense that the film is you know I think Spielberg is certainly a far more sentimental filmmaker than Kubrick oh big time yeah uh, and that's not a criticism of Kubrick but the idea that he would pass it on which I think makes sense, given you know even then Spielberg's credentials as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. There is definitely something not quite working there between no. the two visions. Kubrick just doesn't care about humans as much as Spielberg. And again, it's not a criticism, but like all of his characters are so much more cold and morally in a very moral grey area a lot of the time. And that's not to say that they can't also be sort of you can't also root for them and they can't experience sort of delight, but um, <laughs> there's just something I feel like Spielberg made it for the humans and Kubrick made it for the AI <laughs> for uh, the robots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean? yeah, that's a good way of phrasing yeah. it. Actually, I'd like I'd like to rewatch actually because it's been a very very long time since I've seen it. 
great moments in it. There's some yeah. really good scenes in it. Uh, Jude Law's in it, isn't he? He is, and he's really good in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a sort of aesthetic crossover in terms of the way, uh, like, a lot of films about robots, especially humanoid robots, do this, in that they have a hu- completely human face, and then it's almost like someone's taken a, a box cutter to their skin and <laughs> uh, and kind of cleanly... Uh, cut it away to reveal the metal underneath uh, and it right. kind of goes with the contours of the face yeah, yeah and yeah. there's an example of that in um, AI artificial intelligence and also an, an example of that in the creator well yeah. all of the all of the what are they what are they called oh, simulants simulants which I feel like is a bit of a nod not a bit of a nod a massive kind of nod almost headbutt to Blade Runner yeah, <laughs> a little bit yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know there's only so many names you can take (laughs) yeah Yeah. um i was thinking broadly about the sci-fi genre i know we've sort of like bounded around a couple of very familiar examples and this one's no different Mm. uh trying to think of like a sci-fi film that sort of deals with ideas around technology and more robotics ai etc in a in a sort of more positive light and it's quite hard to find one yeah it is difficult Um, certainly in terms of mainstream examples anyway yeah anything like I think it's interesting to keep that in that context of mainstream because I think there's the way in which many of these films have existed. Mm, yeah. The only film I could think of was Wally. Wally, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wally, Wally. It's Wally, isn't it? Wally. He says um, it like Wally. But yeah, he does. I mean, it's a, it's, it's an interesting it. title. I can't believe the title works as well as it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, again, there's this sort of very over, as often is the case in sci fi criticism of technology and the way it, it not only does it sort of dehumanize its user to the point where you know they, they don't have really any sort of proper meaningful connections with one another it's also destroyed the natural world in which they inhabit yeah and in the process of sort of making people's lives as easy as possible there's obviously a negative effect on the physiolo- physiology of the human form but it's also sort of it's almost severed the connection that human beings have with their environment, their natural environment. Yeah, yeah. So obviously there's a critical element there. Mm. And obviously there's a critical element about human beings because obviously it's the human beings that fucking obliterate the planet, right? Yeah. This is often the case in sci-fi. Um, <laughs> you know, no criticism there. Um, but it's ultimately the robot that help human beings realise how important that connection is to the natural world. Mm, okay, yeah. And yeah. I think that that is the only sort of like vaguely sort of optimistic robot sci-fi film that I can think of right now. Yeah, I'm sure when yeah. I go to bed, I'll probably think of one. But <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts on that? On Wally? Yeah, uh, yeah. I I do. I liked Wally. It surprised me um, because I watched a lot of. Well, I got bombarded with promotional material, and I just remember thinking, "Oh, his voice is annoying." Um, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. I, I saw it, and I was like, immediately, "There's something very, 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 very charming about it," as is the case with a lot of Pixar films. And then there's the environmental angle, which I thought would be kind of quite shoved down my throat, but it isn't. It's just like it's a. It serves as a backdrop for a very unique, quite emotional story. Yeah. Um, the idea that this robot is uh, it's it's almost funny how like it, the, its its own creation has not 
just that robot, but humanity's creation, including this robot, has destroyed the entire world, and now, now it's left behind to fix it all as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, yeah. Um, yeah. I I need to revisit it, uh, but I do. Yeah, I like I like Wally a lot. Voice isn't as annoying as you might think if you no. haven't seen it. <laughs> no. Um, Andrew Statton's best film. I think I think better than Finding Nemo. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I don't really have a huge connection to Pixar. Mm. Um, really uh, obviously Toy Story yeah uh, you know one and two but yeah I'd probably say so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm more interested in that than Fish yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the most yeah interesting it's one of their best I think um, yeah I think there's a sort of wider sort of consciousness to it than mm. there is in the other films and that's not necessarily I'm not saying every Pixar film needs to have some sort of political or sort of uh, environmental message but Mm. you know doesn't hurt that particular film no Uh, I'm talking about Minority Report briefly as well which again isn't concerned with robotics per se but the idea of something natural that occurs that human beings then harness in this case it's the precogs with pre oh, yeah. so they yeah. harness it with technology and there's a lot of technology in the film a lot of futuristic technology and I love the way that it almost becomes the whole film becomes like a, a paradox or almost like a kind of the, the kind of thing you might say to someone at a pub in that like alright so do you remember the ending to Minority Report uh, it was all a dream <laughs> no, I can't, can't remember. Be so basically, um, the the founder of pre-crime has committed a murder successfully, and Tom Cruise finds out finds out about this. Oh, um, classic Tom. Yeah, and it effectively it, it's like it's framed as it's the launch of pre-crime becoming a resource that the entire world can use. And Tom Cruise is there, and he's like, basically, if you kill me, which is what you want to do, I know you want to do it, it will disprove the whole idea of pre-crime, the idea that every murder in the world can be prevented and is preventable. It's perfect. So if you kill me, it proves it's not perfect. But if you let me live, which is what you don't want to do, it proves that it's... It is perfect. Okay, so it's like a preventative measure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's just like a... I don't know. that The whole film just boils down to that point. Yeah. (laughs) And it's great. I think there's a lot of really smart ideas in that. I mean, it's Philip K. Dick, which is a sci-fi kind of mainstay. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I mean, obviously, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is like another, which is what Blade Runner's adapted from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think more broadly speaking, the <laughs> Philip K. Dick's influence on my idea of a great sci-fi film is quite seismic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't think of another sci-fi writer, maybe Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. I was about uh, to say Frank Herbert. He just did June, didn't he? And that was it. Yeah, I don't know about his other, other books, to be honest. I'm literally not sure. I think he spent the There's rest Bucky of Bucky Boys life. to Bucky Men. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. <laughs> Let's stray away from literature. <laughs> For, forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, June's, June's a weird one. I, I actually, it, June is one of those futuristic sci-fi films where it seems like humanity has transcended the idea of robotics and has kind of, they're, they're kind of almost like higher dimensional beings in that film yeah it's like they've kind of that that's kind of happened it's clearly happened and then it's all behind them and 
Do you know what I mean? Like, there's- yeah, there's something weird about the technology in June because on the one hand, obviously, it's like ridiculously advanced, but the practices like of warfare, for example, are still very sort of like uh, medieval. Medieval, yeah yeah, 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 strange. And the June idea was of the interesting. Houses. Yeah, I think June is actually probably more influenced by the past than it is the future. Yeah, <laughs> uh, or the idea of the future. Anyway, I don't. You can't be influenced I by mean, the future. <laughs> we went to see uh, the film together yesterday, and the June Part Two trailer came up, didn't it? Yes. <sighs> I mean, I've heard that the <laughs> Part Two of of the book is the weaker part. Oh, okay. So they've adapted the best bit of the book already. Um, Interesting. I, I mean, I, I quite liked the first part. Yeah. I thought it was a bit obsessed with its own grandiosity. Yeah. But that seems to be the way with, like, modern blockbuster films that aren't, like, existing IPs. Mm. They will sort of strive for this sort of depth, uh, which I kind of want and admire, but at the same time, you went, sometimes it ends up like you being like, look how Look how big, look how expensive and clever this is. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> We're going to linger on opening shots for ages, you know? <laughs> and I quite like that about it. Like, I think as a sort of an exercise in world building for like a film that was that big and clearly that expensive, it was really admirable. Yeah, same. But um, yeah, I'd be interested to see how it, how it handles the, clearly what seems to be the far more action packed section of the story. I haven't read the book, so I don't, you know, again, no reading. <laughs> no, I, no. I can't pretend to but, have, yeah done it done that either it's, it's not actually a book i've even considered reading so maybe i will i don't know yeah it's one of those sci-fi b- books that i feel like you might have to turn a page and then go back a page right like, okay. what the fuck happened in that previous page <laughs> i need to reread that entire page it's quite because a so big much. book as well isn't it yeah it's about 500 pages i think um, okay maybe a bit more i'm not sure it's about it's about the thickness of a uh, of wall <laughs> uh, back to a standard wall yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, back to Villeneuve quickly uh, what were your thoughts on Blade Runner 2049 do you think it suffered from that same grandiosity issue that June did or did it win you over I mean my opinion of the film is very much rooted in I've only seen it the once okay and obviously it doesn't compare to the original but no. as as far as like sequels go you know, we're really going. We talk about this a lot. You know, we actually don't think we've mentioned uh, nostalgia very re- much recently. But you know, the sci-fi genre seems to be, alongside like horror, um, one of like the, the the one of the genres to sort of cultivate or try and recapture those feelings of nostalgia. Yeah, you yeah. You see so many sequels. You know, the, the, or, or reboots. You know, we see we talk about Terminator Genesis, which was wank. Mm-hmm. The, you know the RoboCop remake, which was fucking wank. Oh man, yeah. Um, you know, so it's like you know, in, in the grand scheme of all of these sort of sci-fi franchises that have been bludgeoned remorselessly by this sort of tepid desire to make people sort of recapture a part of themselves that they're never going to be able to by watching a film. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't, it can't be done properly, nostalgia, but, you know, in the case of those examples, it definitely doesn't, it definitely hasn't. Yeah. Um, in in that example, uh, I would say that it's a good movie. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I liked it. I mm. haven't seen it since I came out of the cinema in London with my friend Ollie. Yeah. He loves Blade Runner and, right. he, and he liked it. Okay. However, you know, like a rewatch, I'm not sure what I'll think about it. Yeah, I saw it twice. It didn't hold up as much the second time. 
It's it lacked Vangelis weirdly because there's such a great atmosphere conjured by the first Blade Runner, owing I think in large part to the soundtrack and those that kind yeah. of that saxophone where you're like, what the fuck is a saxophone doing in a sci-fi film? Oh, hold yeah. on a minute! No, this really works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. It, the the moments between Rachel and Deckard are so tender for the, the, that reason. Um, and that was my main problem with it. Weirdly, was that it no fails. No, it had a bit more of. I a, think that's a valid criticism. Yeah, yeah. The, the atmosphere is greyer uh, yeah. than Blade Runner. But that's, I think, the way a lot of modern blockbusters treat sci-fi now. Mm. It's almost like a deliberate stylistic choice, irrespective of like the thematic intentions of the movies. Yeah, like yeah. it just feels like oh, we've got to be dark because it's mm. darker now. It's almost like it feels like in. Mo- I mean, this is sort of drifting away from sci-fi a little bit, but it feels like more broadly you know because audiences are craving a more adult blockbuster experience i think studios have realized they can still make narratives that appease the mainstream audiences but they can sort of cheat them into thinking they're watching something more adult because the color palette's darker and there's a bit of violence and the (laughs) character says fuck once do you (laughs) know what i mean like do yeah so i don't know like i feel like that's a problem but i i i quite like why remember of blade runner 2049 i quite like yeah. Um I, I and I don't think a rewatch will make me sort of like hate it, but I can't imagine I'll be like lauding a huge amount of praise on it. Um, it takes its damn time as well. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's sort of that thing, isn't it? That sort of slow burn. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I, I don't think- know, maybe it just feels more organic in the original films because they're so good. I don't know, like there's a I think it, that that kind of slow burn atmosphere has its place in sci fi, but not in Blade Runner. I think it works really well for a film like Ex Machina, which is actually kind of maybe a good example of a film to talk about briefly. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just in the sense that the film toys very overtly with the idea of can you create a consciousness? Yeah. Um, and it a lot of people think that it, it's left open-ended as to whether this robot has actually made a decision, an emotional decision, and, and has had an emotional reaction to someone which is the whole idea, it's the sort of Turing test thing of uh, Donald Gleeson going in and trying to forge an emotional connection with Ava, the yeah. the robot in the film. There's a bit at the end of it which basically reveals that she is, in fact, sentient in that she... And all it is, I love this, I love how simple that it illustrates this point and a lot of people overlooked it. I'm not saying... By the way, the, the only reason I didn't was because I heard about it in a podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm not... I'm no cleverer than anyone else in this instance. But uh, she just looks around and there's no one in the room and she smiles. I'm like, oh, wow, what a great kind of yeah. way to illustrate. Like, no, she's she's a living, breathing thing that has been created by us but is no longer governed by us. I think, yeah. Uh, good, good kind of example of a film that deals with robotics made on the cheap mm. uh, and very simply sort of single location you yeah know, very isolated three characters sort of yeah yeah shot in norway in like a month in a hotel really oh, yeah fucking hell crazy you know it? that yeah <laughs> interesting yeah well on the subject of filming things cheaply let's move yes. on to gareth edwards yes sci-fi we could go on and on and on about mm. i feel i feel like we Genuinely, that'll be a three-hour one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brevity, Mm. as we always say. Um, But, you know, Gareth Edwards is a filmmaker that, you know, I was watching a a recent interview with him and he was talking about, uh, you know, new new filmmakers and and particularly 
in terms of how you know the technology that like aspiring or new filmmakers have on offer to them is limited in comparison to like, your big hitters, right? Obviously, yeah. Obviously, you know the fact that so much of this technology is readily available to people means anyone can make a movie. Mm, yeah. But I think a lot of people think that you know you're fairly limited on the basis that you don't have the best cameras or the best editing software or you know a fucking computer that can power has the power to run certain software or whatever yeah yeah um but he is someone that very steadfastly believes that you know you can still create a sense of sci-fi epicness mm. even when you're limited by things like budget and technology yes which and you know if we're going to start talking about gareth edwards in that context what better way to start than his debut yeah because that is an exercise in a film that you know the sort of sense of scale is omnipresent because it's background yeah obviously there are moments where it's very explicitly in full view yeah yeah but a, a large portion of that film monsters mon- sorry I've not mentioned the film monsters <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know it's it's always in the background it's always there yeah and I think that's a really interesting like, take considering his sort of point in that interview about you know you don't have to be limited mm. and I think that speaks quite broadly to his career career mm-hmm. as a as a filmmaker yeah yeah uh, as you said bar a couple of examples but in the case of Monsters, for sure, right? I mean, Monsters was his calling card to make bigger movies. Yeah. Uh, and he did, he did, and he largely was very successful in doing so. Actually, there's some things about the Godzilla remake I quite enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, Rogue One, I thought, had its fair share of script issues, and apparently it got taken over largely by, like, Tony Gilroy. But nonetheless, there's some really good stuff in Rogue One. I honestly, like, I... I, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not that passionate about Star Wars, really. Obviously, you know, I think I've said this a few times this podcast. Whenever Star Wars comes up, but obviously, I you know have a place for it. But I'm not yeah. like a super fan. But I quite liked Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that some of the casting was really good. I thought Donnie Yen in it was excellent. Yeah, um, yeah. As that sort of force aware blind warrior. That's um, right. Yeah, I liked the sort of. Again, overt, but there's sort of nods to, you know, Vietnam. Mm, yeah. Um, which... Uh, wow, well, yeah, yeah, creator. Yeah, the creator. Follows is, in those footsteps, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, incredibly overt. <laughs> um, no, I think he's an interesting filmmaker, and I, I really liked Monsters. I, again, I've only seen it the once. Would have probably paid well to have seen it, but I'm busy, you know, home renovation. Um, <laughs> it's so... It's, yeah, it's fascinating the way that they made that film. Yeah, um, they like and he employed techniques like this for the creator as well but for monsters it's so wonderful to hear the stories about the filming of monsters so like they had I think like 12 people went out there uh, to film it they used they didn't have a dolly so they used a van and they covered the camera in pillows <laughs> and that was how they got their dolly shots so anything any tracking shots any shots where that kind of pan across with like parallax in the background it's just in a van oh wow um, Prosumer cameras, which again is something that he re uh, kind of revisited with the creator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I think his main strength is he sets a really high standard for himself. He did a lot of the visual effects for monsters, but but you can't tell. Like he apparently he used to churn out two shots a day until he got to the creature shots, and he had like two. Then it was like two months per shot. Um, but there's a really economical way that he does his visual effects so he edits his films before touching it in that respect so usually with like marvel you hear about like recuts and changes and edits which 
uh, in kind of results in like crunch time, I guess. Yeah. With, uh, with people in the like the VFX industry, but Gareth Edwards is like, no, 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 we got to say in order to save money more than anything else, he's like, we'll cut it first, and then we'll know exactly where the shots go. And we don't waste any time rendering anything un- unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but he just he just set such a high standard for him for himself more than anything mm. else, and his ability to deliver scale on scale, if you will, <laughs> um, <laughs> scale for scale, I guess. Uh, yeah, just cheap, economical, to the point kind of filmmaking which is fascinating yeah um, and he did that again with a creator apparently he took f- just uh, flew four or five people out to different countries to get loads of establishing shots and that's it like that's all you need to do and it looks fantastic <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. Think, uh, one of the strengths of the creator oh visually stunning really yeah. really good um, really really works from a design point of view um, I really like the way it was shot uh actually as well um, I thought it would chime with you you're yeah. a big fan of handheld yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, I think you're right it is well shot and I think uh, that's what I quite liked about the crate actually it reminded me a lot of monsters it reminded mm. me of that sort of the humble beginning sort yeah, of thing yeah. in a way that felt quite genuine yeah because yeah. he's someone that is very much like he flies that flag yeah you know in his processes as you say like he you know he refuses to be limited mm. and even you know, in a situation he's in now where he obviously gets slightly bigger budget. So this definitely wasn't his biggest budget movie. No. Um, you know, he's returning to those practices and the uses of technology, which is sort of, I'm not going to say readily available for everyone, because that's not the case, but it's certainly more available than the cameras they use in other big blockbuster movies. Or Yeah, you can buy that, that camera in Curry's. Yeah, which is... I mean, you, know. you might have to take a loan out, but you, you, you can do it and you can do like a... I don't know why this has turned into an advert for Curry's PC World, but... Um. <laughs> ah, well, you know, you know, still still part of you, Ben. Oh, yeah, I worked there for a bit. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. What was that about your boss? Wasn't he a dickhead? <laughs> Alan, if, you, if you're listening, mate, I'd... that pint you got me that Christmas. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers, never... mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, um... But yeah, the the, the camera thing's really interesting because you can't tell at all. Like it looks yeah. perfect. It looks really like pin sharp. It there's not even a, a single modicum of uh, it being kind of amateurly produced or made. Whereas, Agreed, yeah. Whereas when you read about how he made it, you're like. You, th- you kind of you think, oh Jesus! I hope this looks good yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you've you've properly done this. Like I said earlier, like a grassroots style, um, and it, it does instill a sense of hope in me uh, that maybe other filmmakers in the, in the coming years will take heed and maybe follow suit, and we'll get some interesting yeah. movies, including from Edwards himself. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, I think we're definitely seeing the sort of the gap between you know the industry you know the, the sort of titans of the industry and the people who have just got a bit of gear and put stuff on youtube you you can see some you know you see the occasional projects that come out mm. and you think god that's not bad you know given, yeah given yeah. the constraints so i think that gap is definitely sort of closing yeah um what, what, what that will do for the industry i don't know but I think the fact that he's you know he's utilizing the kind of technology that you know, that is there from mm. curry's yeah. Sorry, Alan. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, 
I don't know. I think it's. I think it's very genuine on his part. Mm, obviously, yeah. I think he's someone. Obviously, he's very passionate about that element of the filmmaking process. Yeah, yeah. As an essential part of it, not mm. just sort of like enveloping yourself in the best of the best, sort of in terms of the tech. Yeah. You know, realizing that you can achieve great things even with simpler, less refined. Yeah. Things which I like. I really admire. No, me too. Yeah, I think it's really. I'm really, really interested to see what he does next. Yeah. And although, like, for reasons we'll get into in a second, I don't, I don't think the creator is a perfect film at all. I think it's got no. a lot of flaws. No, yeah, but I really enjoyed watching it for that reason alone. I was like, this is clearly... I, I want to watch more films like this. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. In a cinema, because it is a cinema film as well. I do, yeah, yeah, I do yeah. think that if you watched it at home, you'd lose something. Yeah. Um which is odd considering the aforementioned Curry's uh, <laughs> camera. Um, but yeah, it's it's just like, it was a delightful experience seeing it in that respect. Yeah, and I think he's also someone, you know, he, he's he's worked in, in the big, you know, he's worked with Disney, with Rogue One. Yep. You know, uh, he's worked with the big kahunas. Obviously for Godzilla as well. Yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Cranston, Brian Cranston. Aaron Taylor Johnson in that film, I, c- I remember him having no neck. He'd been in the gym so much. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> going remember? through his roid head stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's on roids. Can, can, can neither confirm nor deny use of roids. Of someone that's done probably done ten push-ups in their life. I, 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 I can't commit. Um, no, I think it's telling that he's returning back to that kind of tech, though, and returning mm. back to that sort of philosophy after those experiences. I wonder how much they yeah. affected him as a filmmaker. Maybe. I mean, working on anything to do with Star Wars is notoriously difficult. Yeah. It's the intellectual property that, the you know, the... What's her name? Catherine, Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen yeah, Kennedy, yeah. yeah. She's very notoriously very protective of, often yep. to the detriment of the, the end product. Yeah. So, and I wonder what it was like for him, Godzilla, because Godzilla isn't like necessarily a bad movie. It's just a very average blockbuster. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. Like, I'd be interested to see if he continues to sort of have this sort of ambition mm. uh, going forward. But this film has it done well? So yeah, its budget was eighty million, which is in the grand scheme of modern blockbusters. I'm not sort of defending the use of the amount of money, but in the grand scheme, that is small. It's small. It's really rare. Yeah. There's usually it looks good as well. Yeah, man. Like you get your indies that made for about a million, two million. Then you'll probably get a couple of fifteen to thirties in there, usually comedies, uh, or or horror films. Yeah. But fifty to eighty million is really rare for a film to have that budget. Well the mid budget film is you know, we've we've talked about this before. It's it's a rarity these days, yeah, isn't it's it? Nearly disappeared. Yeah. Um, and I hope it comes back. However, it's done. It's done sixty three so far. So it's made sixty three million back, which isn't great. But it's not. It's been out since September the twenty ninth. So it's been out for twelve, thirteen days. Okay. It's not. I feel like. I feel like this has potential legs at the box office. Okay. Un- unlike your opening weekend films, like so, you quite often see like something like Star Wars having a ridiculously big opening weekend, like an event, and then it, there'll be a huge drop. It'll be like 50% drop or something. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a film like The Creator, it's kind of a, it's a movie that, if nothing else is on, you'll go and see, so it might have a bit more legs. Um, yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't know. Uh, also, it was made by like three different studios, so their financial stake in it isn't necessarily that great, divided between them. 
So I think it was E1, Entertainment One, and New Regency. And I want to say East Fox as well, which is Disney. So they probably gave Edwards like 25 million each. So in terms of it being a failure, it's quite difficult to define it as that because yeah. nobody's got a particularly big stake in it. It might, it, it, it might not have ever been created to make money. It might have been like a quite clever way of Edwards just making what he wanted to. Yeah. Um, so difficult to say, which I know might not be the answer you're after. <laughs> no, no, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, it's it's sort of stacking up against... So you've got like Sorex, uh, you've got Blackberry, The Exorcist, I think. Okay. Reasonably big. Uh, something like a Paw Patrol movie. And there's like a Taylor Swift tour film which has got a cinematic release but oh. I, I have no idea why I mean I'm not a, I don't really follow her but no, she seems to be huge yeah. for some reason so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, there's a there's a fair bit of competition there um, I think as a sort of property that isn't a franchise mm. um, it's nice to see it exist yeah and we we said that didn't we on, on the way back you know it was it was nice again very well trodden ground thematically and we'll go into that in a moment but yeah you know, it's nice to see something that is at least pushing the envelope in, in terms of its cinematic style yeah, and making yeah. something fairly competently. Just nice to see a film set in Asia as well, weirdly. Oh, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, the, the, all, there was like a, two or three scenes in Los Angeles, but most of it was, I think it was all filmed in Thailand. Okay. So it all looks really pretty. And like, I think <laughs> Edwards is a big fan of um, crops. Do you yeah, know, like, there's a lot yeah, of. Cro- I remember yeah, there yeah. being a lot of crops in Rogue One yeah. for a Star Wars movie. There's a lot of crops in this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like he clearly like, and the same with monsters. I think monsters. Was, where was that set in uh, South America? South America. It? Yeah. So he's he's a bit of a globetrotter. Yeah. Um, and he's. I think he's quite keen on setting films not in the United States, which is again like a really refreshing thing to see. Yeah, and his his presentation of the United States as well. Mm. As often as this sort of let's sort of go into the film now, yeah, but, you yeah, know his yeah. presentation of of the United States as this sort of imperialist yeah. superpower that's sort of flexing its military muscles, yeah. often to the detriment of the objectives of the lead characters in his films, yeah. particularly in the creator. For me, I you know I think it sort of speaks volumes about uh, maybe the lack of investment that you mentioned between the three uh, production companies. The marketing hasn't been particularly strong for this one. No. It's not felt like, uh, you know, some films just generate a sense of urgency about them, regardless if the film itself has any particular urgency in terms of its message. Whereas this seems to sort of, you know, it's, it, I, obviously I'm aware of it, because obviously it's something we, we both love, so obviously we keep we it on the, the cinema, ground. Yeah, yeah, we go to the yeah. cinema a lot, so it's difficult not to watch the trailer for it. But yeah, it just feels like something that, you know, I mentioned to a few colleagues at work that I was going to see it and none of them had an idea what it was. Yeah, know? a lot of people at my work were saying, they were like, oh, what's that? Yeah, oh. <laughs> which for me, I mean, obviously, is it necessarily a microcosm for general public opinion? Well, maybe given the current mm. sort of box office statistics, but yeah, I don't know. I had no expectations going in on the basis that I knew literally nothing about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the the logo looks like the it's like the same graphical design as the aviator <laughs> right okay so you've got a the and then a line and then a big letter 
in the in this case it's a C in the aviators case obviously it's an A but like it's like a really I mean yeah just google it like it, they're like the same design right. it's really weird like yeah. I thought I thought I don't know why this just jumped out as me it's like this is a bad logo for a science fiction film it should not have been done in this fashion at all right yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe that just speaks to what you're saying about the marketing maybe being a bit shaky um, yeah Hannah as well uh, she like she took one look at the trailer she's like that looks shit <laughs> she genuinely said she's like that looks she like it was that classic sort of leaning in the cinema thing and being like not gonna see that we do that quite a lot don't we yeah yeah <laughs> people sit next us, not that many people do in cinemas but it was you know Ava Meads it was a smaller screen there was about mm. probably 10 other people in there yeah you yeah you must have heard us sort of slag off a few of the other trailers and thought what yeah, a pair yeah. of fucking tossers yeah. I bet they've got a film podcast I bet I bet they have yeah fucking losers yeah, yeah. oh dear but I mean what were your sort of thoughts going into the film uh, again similar to you I I was quite I, I was excited maybe a bit more so than you because I I think the trailer had some moments which made me think, okay, this could be at least interesting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the design, I again, kind of got bought across in this in the trailer. It looked a little bit like, quite like Halo. <laughs> a yeah, lot of, it looks yeah. a lot like, a lot of it, it reminds me of those video games. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's... I think Gareth Edwards is a gamer, isn't he? I think he does play games. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm sure it's him. It might be Neil Blomkamp. Again, I get those two guys mixed up, but... <laughs> Uh, Gareth, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, email us cineboystocinemen at gmail dot com. Please, with your response here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I was, I was looking forward to it in a sense. Um, I was apprehensive about maybe it being like we said, like well trodden ground. Though. Yeah, that was my main concern with it. Yeah, and those expectations were ultimately sort of met. What are you? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, the whole film it, it doesn't do anything new. I mean, we said at the start of the the, the episode that you know the, the nature of its existence around these sort of discussions that are very prevalent now, and and our sort of discourse about the nature of the technology that is inevitably coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, makes it feel a bit more present and a sense of urgency to it. But and I think that works in its favour to some degree. But I think it doesn't disguise the fact this film is very sort of derivative mm, yeah not just visually we've mentioned the sort of uh, sort of stylistic parallels with Neil Blomkamp uh, but also thematically yeah. and you know that's a criticism your mileage may vary with that one because you know ultimately the sci-fi genre is very derivative oh completely uh, you yeah, know yeah. most films in the sci-fi genre it's, it's hard for them to sort of break new ground both visually and thematically yeah they always bump into each other yeah one so, way or another like 2001 Interstellar right yeah and then yeah. like Halo and District 9 which, yeah Blomkamp yeah. was going to direct a Halo film actually so that's interesting that those oh is he, aesthetic, is he? well he was gonna uh, funding fell, fell through thanks Peter Jackson uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I the visuals for me really worked, but they aren't. They're nothing new. Um, no, at all. The v- visual effects are great for an eighty million dollar movie. They are really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's, what do you think of the fire effect? Uh, they were clearly simulated with a piece of software called Houdini. Right, okay. Um, and they looked a little bit. There was a, was a bit fire fake. scene. I thought I'm going to ask you about this. <laughs> yeah, um, it's. 
it's like the industry standard for explosions. Right. And if it close, they fall apart with close up because the fire kind of looks mushed together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a problem. <laughs> uh, that was the that was the actually one of the only times that I saw a bit of a sort of shaky VFX element. I knew, yeah, I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't Houdini that did those did those explosions. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's this film offers nothing new. You know, we, we, we've spoken, you know, in terms of films like The Matrix and The Terminator franchise that, you know, this is a cautionary tale about the way humanity ushers in this new technological dawn. Yes. And this is an example of uh, where, it, where it goes wrong. I guess the sort of the, the difference here is the manner in which the aftermath unfolds in the sense that AI obviously initially exists as something that supports and helps and protects mm. Western civilization. And after a a sort of apocalyptic event, classically the nuclear bomb, mm, yeah. the atom bomb blowing up Los Angeles, uh, the Western world disavows AI in its entirety, criminalizes it, treats it like a second-class citizen, yes. despite the significant advancements in sort of giving these robots and, and androids or the simulians or whatever they're called um, <laughs> a, a sort of a sentience yes where the film sort of is slightly different is in the way in which the west does away with it but the east does not liked so, that about the film yeah, yeah so yeah. Asia is a sort of a haven New, uh, new Asia <laughs> yeah New Asia that's it yeah it's like a haven for the robots that are sort of frantically escaping the purge that is perpetrated by the West, primarily led by America. Yeah. And this is where Edwards, I think, is using that uh, sort of like a foundation for his clear sort of thematic and visual homage to Vietnam, which yeah, he seems yeah. to be fucking obsessed with. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, but, uh, quite a accelerated pace as well. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the, the sort of the technologically advanced nature of the United States Army against this sort of ragtag mixture of robots and people. It's, you know, and, and the way in which America just conducts themselves willy-nilly mm. over this sort of technologically inferior enemy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the parallels and, and obviously the thematic nods are obvious. And, it, and interesting. I mean, he seems to really like <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Not like the war, but... It seems to be a very clear visual and thematic touchstone for him. That's That was a kind of a reasonably positive element about the film. I actually think the film sort of falls apart in its central plot with the whole idea of... It's Joshua, isn't, isn't it? It's, he's called it's Joshua, like yeah. Well, initially, he, he kind of gets lumbered with this child, this robot child who, uh, who turns out to be like a, a representation of the next level of artificial intelligence yeah um and it's there's connections to his wife uh it kind of works but it doesn't really it's not really clear enough what that is trying to say like i don't really yeah. know what he was trying to say with that he had yeah. the whole vietnam stuff and like obviously that was you know vietnam was bad imperialism is like a mistake and like those, those themes and ideas like communicated really well but i don't know what he was trying to say with the child and I think we sort of talked about this on the, on the drive back. Uh, you know, I think there's this sort of tendency for filmmakers that have these aspirations to take this sort of mid to sort of high budget films into the realm realms of like you know like loftier uh, movies experiences is by sort of going very malic. Yes, you know, yes. They yeah. have a lot of these sort of like slow 
shots, you know, slow scenes, sorry, with tracking shots and mm. interspersing these flittering moments of human connection amongst these lofty ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time, and it, I guess largely in, in this instance, it sort of just feels a bit naff um, because it's sort of, it, it basically just undercuts the sort of emotional impact yeah, of that yeah. relationship, which is such a driving force for the lead character. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just gives the film a bit of a, I don't know, it just sort of, Makes you smell a bit off. Yeah, no, exactly. That a strange way to phrase it, but I get exactly exactly was. (laughs) No, I get exactly what you mean. Um, because they felt misplaced. Those edits felt misplaced in a film of this, which kind of has this quite lofty scale, and then for it to kind of cut to handheld on the beach, hugging and like lifting each other up, and then like a robot on a bike that bears no there's no ramifications for that yeah. shot at all it's just yeah, yeah it, bit, a bit too art student you know yeah I, I think so and it, i guess it sort of ties well in one sense because we're talking about this idea that gareth evans is obviously channeling a lot of the technology that these people would use yes it's yeah, all, you yeah, know yeah. it's almost as if narratively he's doing the same <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i I think the idea is maybe just to see to show how sort of constant this is in in the in the lead character's mind. Mm. Uh, it just felt very indulgent. Yeah, uh, you know, and Nolan's guilty of this too, by the way. It's oh not yeah, just, you know, it's not just Gareth Edwards, you know, who's guilty of it. I just think it's, and and I imagine it's like genuine. Like the intention is genuine. He's yeah, not thinking, yeah. oh yeah, this this will this will please Mark Commode. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. He's, you know, he's not thinking that. No, is he? no. But I don't know. Uh, although I don't know what Mark Commode's view is on Malik, actually. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, please get in touch, Mark, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's odd because it does. No, again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about it borrowing fairly heavily from other sources, as as sci-fi does, of course. But it's just a bit too obvious. Is that that kind of visual yeah. styling that's largely yeah. present in films like The Tree of Life? Yeah. Um, yeah. Feels misplaced. I feel like. The film also struggles with the like internal logic a little bit as well, just in the sense that uh, I don't know. For it, for example, the big ship in it, you know, the big target ship oh, yeah. thing. What's it called? Like the Nomad. Something uh, like that. Yeah. Um, it's its presence in the sky makes no sense. So there's a shot of it like in the Earth's atmosphere, and then the next shot it's like beneath the clouds yeah, so like uh, yeah. there's an internal logic problem there also a lot of the, ro- the a lot of the robots get taken out by one bullet yeah like they wouldn't have been constructed in that way and then but only that only happens when it's convenient to the plot as well yeah so yeah. there's a logic plot hole issue i feel like that could have been refined ever so slightly yes I think the idea is to sort of victimise the technology for, you know, the thematic parallels. I mean, I feel the film, alongside the sort of discussion around AI, is a very overt uh, comment on that sort of Western imperialism. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I guess in the service of those narrative themes, it's it's, it's befitting that the robots are, are sort of these sort of... Almost helpless. Helpless in, yeah, in, in yeah. the face of this sort of, like, ceaseless, ever-present quest to purge them via the use yeah. of this ridiculous technology that the Americans tend to exude over but then, lesser, <laughs> so, so, lesser civilizations, <laughs> Not in the way I perceive them, but in the way, technologically speaking. <laughs> but then it's strange because Ken Watanabe gets shot in the chest and the big hole gets blown in him and he gets up. Yeah. Like, well, what 
what are you going for? Are, are these robots meant to be weak or are they meant to be indestructible? Because you're you you you're having your cake and eating it. Yeah. Don't do that. Also, he could have died and it would have had a no bearing on the rest of the plot anyway. So I don't no. quite understand. Again, it's just a, a nitpicky issue I have, which with concerning internal logic which is perhaps more important to me than it should be yeah i think you're right in both ways i i think you know for a film that does strives a lot to have that internal logic as the central part of what we're supposed to connect to as an audience i think you're very that's absolutely valid to point out the flaws yeah yeah it's, it's so essential in films like this yeah the internal logic is central right because yeah, it's, it's not based in our logic necessarily yeah yeah you know or what we what we perceive to be the world that we live in mm. you know so when you create that world you know and you want to commit to elements of that world to for us to sort of feel the things that you clearly want us to feel, then you fucking better commit to it wholesale. Yeah, know? yeah, I think so. But that may be sort of like a broader blockbuster issue as well, to be fair. Mm, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, just a few things to iron out, maybe. But I can't claim to have made the creator. So, you know, I, I think largely it is a positive thing that it's happened and that it's come out. Yeah. Uh, it's good child acting as well, just as a brief aside. Some, yeah, yeah, good, yeah. The, the child in it, uh, I I'm not sure of the actor's name unfortunately um but really commendable and yeah. not can't have been easy <laughs> uh, no. especially if there's only four crew members <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so uh yeah fair play mm. i also thought narratively it was you know very airy yeah. I, I i didn't feel like i thought it moved far too quickly to really sort of justify any of the emotional beats that the film really wanted you to connect to. Yeah, agree. The, the film moves so, so fucking quick. And it even had that thing uh, of like all the, you know, the title cards for each part. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, you know, it feels <laughs> like there's a real ambition here, but it's not being realised in the sort of pacing of the plot at all. Mm, no. And again, like I didn't, you know, I didn't dislike the film, but I did come out just thinking feeling a bit sort of empty and a bit sort of cold to it on the basis that there is there is like a lot of as we say like a lot of things that are very derivative about it outside of the confines of the sci-fi genre yeah yeah but also just it's just a bit narratively flat it feels like there's a lot of ideas here that are sort of scarcely excavated beyond the surface level and i think it suffers for that no it is you're right it's very scattershot and doesn't ever really come together in terms of having a co- like a cohesive beginning, middle, and end with an emotional center point. Like the Josh was well, played by um, John David Washington. He's he, the relationship he has to his wife didn't really. I didn't really connect with that on emotional on an emotional level nah. at all. Nah. There's quite a sweet moment at the end that concerns that, uh, but yeah, again, it was a bit throwaway. And didn't, yeah, didn't serve much for me. No, I also think the the reason for spoilers, the reason for why him and his wife are separated is because you know he's like a deep he's deep undercover, isn't he, for the for the Americans trying to find the the creator of all of the robotic life forms yeah. Yeah. in in New Asia. He has to ingratiate himself into the sort of. Uh, into the, the new Asian way of life, and he obviously meets his true love, and they they get married, and they're expecting a child. Then the film starts with her realizing that he's an agent, and that <laughs> causes them to sort of obviously fragment, and her to yeah. become seriously injured. And that, again, spoilers that dictates a lot of the movie. But you know, the reason that like, his sort of reasoning for like trying to justify it to his wife, wife hastily 
in the start of the film is that he hates robots and that robots don't feel anything. So he feels no guilt yeah. about the process of killing these simulians or whatever they're called and and, and their robot brethren. <laughs> you know? But the moral reawakening that he has as a result of meeting the young child robot is so fucking quick. Yeah, it happens like really quickly, doesn't and it? it, yeah. it, it and I just think, well, if this is sort of like if that's like the central idea of the film that you know, we need to sort of be more compassionate and, and we need to sort of embrace this technology with the compassion that will ultimately benefit humankind. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking quick mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very rushed. And by the end, he's sort of like hugging the robot. And it's obviously, again, spoilers revealed that, that she's a, she, the robot is a sort of a part of the DNA of his his, his child actual human child yeah, yeah so which yeah. I, you see a fucking coming a mile off I think I remember you saying that yeah I, I will give it to the film for not overdoing the twists though yeah I liked that about how it kind of just reveals them in a under the table it doesn't there's no sort of musical swell no. you know what I mean <laughs> yeah you're um, right yeah but at the same time the f- the fact that it it's predictable is a, <laughs> clearly an issue yeah um, yeah even the he, he's revealed to be undercover, and it's just like a throwaway line, a bit of a naff bit of dialogue, where his mate just goes, "By the way, you're undercover," and his wife hears it, and that's that. It's like yeah. what? There should have been more of a kind of yeah. graph to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that speaks wider to the film in general. I think there could have been mm. a lot more build-up. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, yeah. You, know, you know, we sort of sort of simultaneously mock the film for taking its time in certain areas, but the times it does slow down is just for those sort of shots of them on the beach and stuff yeah, yeah. I want you spend more time actually developing the character and developing his arc yeah, and yeah. having moments where he starts to sort of piece together the sort of worth of this sort of constructed humanity not just yeah. the humanity that he's been in- inherited through birth yeah know? yeah yeah there's none of that you know? <laughs> it's just him going from oh I just turn him off like a TV to like hugging one yeah, you know? yeah. I don't know a bit, yeah. bit rushed definitely his mm. performance uh Better than Tenet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to be harsh on the guy because I think he is a good actor, but I, I'm just not convinced of him as a blockbuster lead yet. No, me neither. Uh, I feel like obviously his performance in Black Klansman was pretty, pretty damn good and a really good. I don't, it was it wasn't his debut, was it? No, uh, but so. it was commendable, and he's had some lead roles since. Where, yeah, I agree with you. Not entirely. I don't think he can really carry a film on his shoulders just yet. I feel like maybe trying out some supporting roles might benefit him. Uh, yeah, he- I, I, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's more the films that he's being a lead in. Because mm. you, do, you do find that, don't you? I mean, you, you know, yeah. actors that are very capable and probably are brilliant, they're just let down by what they've got in front of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, true. In terms of the script. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's more of a case of that and the and the sort of big sort of swashbuckling blockbuster films that he's sort of been the face of haven't always sort of worked out. No. Um, but yeah, not convinced. No, I don't think so. I mean, if he's in another film coming up soon, it's not like I won't see it. Like I think, no, that's no, fine, no. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's nothing wrong with his performance at all. Indeed, largely the performances in this film are. At the very least, serviceable and often oh, yeah. reasonably Solid. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, There's no weak link. No, not not from an acting point of view. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Well, outro. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Questing the cinematic void. There we have it. There we have it. Really. Uh, 
then. Then, yeah. <laughs> Interesting to talk about that. It's you know, I feel like maybe we came across a little bit harsh on it at the end, but I yeah. think we want to reiterate that it's regardless of its shortcomings, it's nice to see a mid budget film that's not already a pre existing property. Super ambitious out film there. as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it largely pulls off that ambition in terms of it, from a visual standpoint, I think it really pulls it off. Yeah. Fair play, Gareth. Edwards <laughs> yeah. Ed Meister uh, next week next week uh, expend forbles <laughs> expend forbles uh, expendables 4 yes this is literally an off the cuff decision trailer looks shit yep reviews look shit <laughs> yep not to be too harsh on old Sly Stallone and crew but uh, no. yeah not looking good as for someone that loves action movies as much as I do, I will never get over how disappointed I am every time watching an Expendables film, <laughs> given the potential these films have. Yeah, and yeah. Never fucking live up to. No, I I haven't seen two or three. <laughs> well, so, first off, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think I think there's a bit in one of them. I think it might be. Is it, is it two with Jean Claude Van Damme, who Maybe. plays John Villain? I can't remember if it's two okay. or three, but like there's a quite a good bit in like an airport with Arnie and Chuck Norris turns up, mm. and that sort of like is the one of the few times the franchise flirts with this idea of what it could have been, right? Yeah, um, before sort of retreating to some sort of like sweaty, alarmingly hyper masculine nightmare. Yeah, with um, CG blood that got criticised for that. Yeah, like, yeah. ridiculous PG thirteen territory. I know the first two weren't, but I think distinctly remember the third yeah, one. Yeah, the third one is yeah, not good. So high hopes for the fourth one. Yep. I mean, the only thing that I might like is you know, a bloke from the raids in it. Eco away. Uh, okay, away is. I don't. I'm so sorry, if, but I like him. Yeah, I've sort of charted, I've watched his career just mm. out of interest since the raid. But I mean, I just wonder if, like in all Western action films, I think we talked about this in the John Wick episode, uh, they just criminally underuse the actually talented action stars. Yeah, yeah. Um, in place of sort of like just feeding the ego of sort of old mm. white action stars as they yeah. waddle around the film set. Yeah. To be fair to Sylvester Stallone, he still looks fucking pretty good for his age in terms of physically. Yeah, his, I, th- I his, don't know. His body. He he clearly knows the the cinematic terrain that he is walking on. Yeah, right? yeah. He, he's yeah. very he's very aware. He's very self aware in that respect. I just think that self awareness gets lost in some of the films that he makes. Perhaps not through any fault of his own. No, I think uh, I think he's better when he's not in in, in charge. Oh right, okay, yeah. Because I think yeah. he directed this one. Did he? Okay, doesn't surprise I me. I think so. I right, might be wrong. Okay. Well. Find out next week. <laughs> yeah, cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that you got that to look forward to. Yep. So have we? Yeah, Great. no. Well, my, I might try and re- revisit some, as you said, uh, off off mic just now. Some bargain bin action films. Yeah, I think well. it'd be a good place to talk about that because this the, the Expendables franchise is like a, 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 a very expensive version of a bargain bin action film. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is something we have talked about before in relation to you know we talked about action films in the context of like east versus west or east and west mm. with john wick we talk we spoke about quite a lot in terms of canon yeah so we're yeah. aware there's there's gonna be a lot of crossover but i think in talking about those kinds of films we can sort of break new ground 
Yeah, as yeah. far as Cineboys are concerned, anyway. Maybe we can yeah. like list off some films we think should belong in the bargain bin, but don't. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. vice versa or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like that. Cool. Yeah. In nice. the meantime, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. See you then. Cheers. Love you. Love you. Bye.